Hey, how's it going? This is Lottie, and you're listening to the Salad Podcast, brought by, of course, Lottie and me. <laughs> <laughs> the me that's over there is also <laughs> Becca. So she goes also by. Also known as yes. It's a government name. <laughs> government name. Gov- yeah. Of course. Um, but we're here together to kind of bring to you the first foundations of a new level of the Salad Podcast, which I've been working on for about a year now. So. The vision that we had for this podcast was to get you a snapshot of the DFW music scene from the perspective of up-and-coming artists, possibly take you behind the scenes of some of their recordings, some of their performances, how they feel about the scene, and just kind of dive into it from a journalistic view and see what we can present to you in this medium of a podcast, which, of course, you've heard a thousand podcasts, but you have not heard a podcast like this one. Um, in case you didn't know, this is indeed being recorded from somewhere in North Texas. I know, I know, not a lot of cool things seems like it happens here, but it does, it does. So just to put it out there, Usher is from Dallas. And of course, we've got wonderful people who made it from out of Dallas, like Erica Badu, um, Stephen Miller from the Stephen Miller Band. I didn't know that both girls of the Dixie Chicks were both from Dallas. Yellow Beezy's out here repping and doing this thing. So Dallas is not dry it's not not known to many people as far as like what kind of musical talent it's putting out but we feel like it doesn't quite get the credit that it deserves when it's put against some of the bigger musical cities so we decided that before we dive into this episode we would get to know us a little bit better so we're going to tell you a little bit about our backstory and where we came up from and why we wanted to make this podcast this way and a little disclaimer before we get started when we originally had conceptualized this podcast, coronavirus didn't exist. And so (laughs) we had assumed we would be able to go to all these shows and talk to all these people in person. That hasn't been the case over the past few months. So we've been doing our best to, you know, use technology to get in touch with these people and still bring you the conversations that are really meaningful. But just keep in mind that we're all struggling through this time right now podcasters too so (laughs) hey and uh without further ado let's dive in so let's have this exchange about how we kind of both got into npr or at least journalism on the standard that npr provides and kind of works on so i had kind of always grown up listening to the news on tv just through whatever CNN or NBC had offered. And that was kind of my introduction to the practice of journalism. Everything I'd always seen on news was always about, here's this expert talking to us about this, or here we are in the streets interviewing this person that got cut off before they said something really important. Um, But it took a while for me, just kind of after I came to America, to really find a solid news source. And the one that I finally, finally, finally kind of eased into, because I was never really vividly or actively looking for the news, was um, NPR. And it really kind of came about slowly only after I literally graduated college and gone to Nepal and kind of wanted other things to listen to besides just music. So I slowly kind of got into podcasting because people have told me, hey, listen to this podcast, listen to the back podcast, listen to Joe Rogan or whoever. So for me, it started with the Crooked Media podcast. Um, John Lovett, John Favreau, Dan, um, Dan Pfeiffer and Tommy Vitor. Those guys are my introduction towards listening to things and being politically active. The guys that uh, started Crooked Media, they're Obama's former White House aides. And um, this kind of slowly came in through that. And then I found out about NPR politics with Aisha Roscoe, Scott 
Turner, I think. I don't know. <laughs> but um, those guys. And that kind of slowly eased me into listening to more what was going on in politics. And I believe that they started the NPR Politics podcast in 2016 when a big change has happened because, like, Trump had just been elected. So that's kind of my introduction into things. Like, I slowly gotten through NPR Politics. And then I found out that there was um, Up First, my NPR, which was always, like, just daily news and daily takes about what was going on about things. So NPR has kind of always kind of been held in standard in high regard for me as far as listening to news and objectively looking at the facts that they present to you. But what drove you towards NPR? Um, I definitely knew that I wanted to work at an NPR affiliate station. Like yeah. I wasn't just looking for any radio station. I was like, I want to work under the umbrella of NPR. Um, which is crazy because I wasn't one of those kids that was like raised on NPR or anything. Like I didn't listen to it growing up, but when I turned 16 and I got my first car, I would get sick of whatever was on my like small town radio station that played the same country song <laughs> like 50 times a day. Hold up, and hold up, put a pin in it. We got to go back. <laughs> what is this small town? Yeah, so I am from uh, basically the middle of a cornfield in Illinois. It's a right. uh, town called Mackinac. Mackinac? I'm Googling this right now. I just <laughs> Mackinac, Illinois. It is yeah. not even Beck on the map. That's kind of interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And like, what, what's Becca's backstory? Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so basically, I was born in, well, I was born in Georgia, but from the time that I was like three, I lived there, grew up there, met all my friends there, like, pretty much all my closest friends and family were in this little like tiny bubble in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And so I was raised in an environment where it was very much like nothing coming in from the outside. Like we literally did live in a bubble where we were in the middle of nowhere. So we didn't have a lot of diversity. I think I went to school with like maybe collectively five people of color when I was in high school, <laughs> like just totally whitewashed very what you I don't want to say like redneck or hillbilly because a lot of people get offended by that but like <laughs> I grew up with kids that would skip school on opening day of hunting season I grew up with kids <laughs> that had been up since like 4 a.m because they had to help out on like the farm in the morning and do the chores uh... it was like one of those communities where everyone's super close everyone knows everyone and everything about everyone um, and and it's, it was the uh, same way with news. It's like oh. everything just stayed in the bubble. And it was like a game of telephone where, you know, one person would say one thing. And it was the same as gossip. It would just huh. pass in these channels and get blown completely out of proportion until it was this wild, like, off-the-rails thing. And I totally bought into it. Like, I'm not even going <laughs> to deny it. <laughs> Until probably my eighth grade year, I was like a conservative, or I thought I was a conservative, um, super like anti-LGBTQ stuff because my dad was, and I just mm. did whatever my dad did. Um, very Christian, because my mom's very Christian. So, but yeah, once I got to eighth grade and I started like questioning things a little bit and being like, wait a second, are we just going <laughs> to like trust what this person has to say just because we know them or are we gonna like double check to make sure what yeah. they're saying is legit yeah. 
And that's what really bugged me and like started to gnaw at me. And that's when I kind of started thinking about journalism in that way. And I was like, I don't want to know what someone said happened or what their interpretation of it was. Like, mm. I want to get down to the brass tacks. And that's, that's why really cool. I got into NPR because I was like, that's what they're about. They're ethics and their morals have such a high bar so this all started in eighth grade and i suppose you finished high school went to college and started okay wait, wait, wait. Where, where did you go to college did you go to college at uta yeah i went to yeah, well so i went to community college in illinois first and mm-hmm. then i went to uta yeah so was it in peoria or bloomington <laughs> It was in East Peoria, the only two cities in that. I was trying to zoom out and see if I could find where Chicago was on the map. And Chicago is way, 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 way out there. That's so funny because people always ask me like, oh, where's that at in relation to Chicago? I was like, you don't even understand if I explained it to you, dude. Okay, so you got to UTA and I'm assuming that the internship for KRA kind of came through some opportunities that UTA afforded you, right? Yeah, so um, it's funny, when I was in community college, I really thought, I was really confused about what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something with writing, because I had always been a writer, kept journals and stuff since I was a little kid. Um, But at first, I thought I wanted to go into TV news. And then Mm. I realized how much I disliked TV news, and how a lot of TV is done for the ratings, and it's done for, like, shock factor, and the, like, we want to get a rise out of people, whether that's a positive or a negative thing. Um, And because they have to like engage their viewers, that's like the whole business model. And so if they're not engaging their viewers and like getting them heated up about something or getting them excited or sad or whatever it may be, then they're not doing their job really. Um, Once I realized that as I was going through my classes and stuff, I was like, okay, well, it's def- it was definitely useful knowledge to like know how to produce TV and like know what that medium is all about. But um, I realized that it just was not my cup of tea. And <laughs> <laughs> but I was still like set on the broadcasting track. So I was like, I listen to KERA all the time. I listen to my member station when I lived in Illinois all the time. Like I should really see if this radio station nearby has an internship and I literally just like fell into it. Thankfully my um, college newspaper that I worked for for a year before that was like cream of the crop learned from like nice Dallas morning news journalists. They have a really like just awesome legacy and they've always been a really um, stand up student news organization. Um, so yeah, when I got to UTA, I didn't even know that they like had that at first. And I went <laughs> to like an activity fair on my like orientation day or something. And that was the first thing that I saw. And I walked straight over to it and got hired like two weeks later and the rest just kind of like fell and happened. That's like so cool that life literally does that for different people. Cause life just kind of has a way of bringing a lot of things together for the right time to do that, even though it really, really seems like late or we had taken five missteps to get here. It's like, that's exactly where you needed to be. Like I was in 27 years of life (laughs) before I could really find the stream. And it took a while before like my actions finally aligned with what I wanted to do and where I needed to be 
Like, and then it took a second to realize that where I needed to be is exactly where I need to be to do what I want to do. Because there's always a lot of folks who live in this life dilemma that because life has done this to me, I can't be a certain way. Because life has done this to me, I can't be successful. Because this hasn't happened yet, I can't be successful. Um, because of where I am, I just need a couple of things to jolster into place and then I'll finally be able to do what I want to do. And it just doesn't work out that way. Life just has a way of putting you in where you need to be to really start to grind and figure it out for yourself, right? And for me, those series of changes in that paradigm finally came about through my self-acceptance. And that happened in like 2016, 2017. <laughs> and by then, I had already like almost finished UTA, right? By then, I had already finished UTA. So a little backstory about me. Um, born and raised in Nigeria, lived there until 2005. Um. We won the U.S. visa lottery. So a lot of countries in Africa or third world countries that don't necessarily have the opportunity to have their immigrants come and enjoy the opportunities that America affords, um, they get given this uh, U.S. lottery granted by, I'm assuming, the U.S. State Department, which says the X amount of people that are your citizens get the opportunity to get a permanent resident visa, and then they can come to America and work towards citizenship. So that took like all the all the effort that my family and my dad really had because it doesn't even pay for those things for you it doesn't pay for the passport it doesn't pay for the visa it doesn't pay for the tickets at all all it affords you is the opportunity and the streamlined process through nigeria's government which has its own janky things to go through so like when we finally won it dad set us all down at the table and knew that we were going to begin this grueling like four or five month process to get all of our identifications from the u.s um sorted all of our identification from Nigeria sorted so that we could clear for the U.S. and kind of had that smooth transition. And um, the key thing as to why they really wanted that for me was the college education. You know, parents were like, I'm educated. Uh, well, at least my dad was really, really educated to a certain level. My mom had gotten some education, but she kind of became a, my mom and full-time mom at the time. But it became a matter of how can we get a better life for our kids. So they wanted me to really come to America for the opportunity of college. So, And that's really not even to say that they're progressive enough to really think that I was going to end up being a teacher or a math major because that's not necessarily the most lucrative profession. <laughs> because it's like everyone that you ask is an immigrant. They're here either to become a lawyer or a doctor or something like of really, really high status. And that's why like immigrants kind of always strive for the highest. But... For me, thankfully, my dad was relatively progressive, so he didn't bat too much of an eye when I told him I wanted to shift to mathematics and major in that and figure out that stream. And then becoming a teacher and a professor was kind of more accepted because there are people in my dad's side of the family who had kind of taken on the role of being a college professor. But then again, as a college professor, I'm only like a high school teacher, so it's still kind of downtrodden, you know what I mean? And it's like, if you can't really make it as a lawyer or engineer, you might as well just go become a mechanic. And that's literally... Literally, the perspective through which an African person or a parent would literally see how mechanics are. Even though here, you do a lot as a mechanic. And it goes through a lot of rigorous training, a lot of hands-on, a lot of, like, educational, theoretical stuff. But, like, some spots are just kind of seen as, like, upper echelons of professions that you should engage in as an Nigerian, as an immigrant, to make your parents proud, you know? Yeah, I totally get that. Like, I don't ever remember me personally having that kind of pressure to like succeed or, or like be successful in a specific profession in that way and I don't know if it's because I am from a pretty low-income family and um, you know my mom was a single mom had two other siblings so college was never a guarantee for any of us our grandparents tried to save up you know a little bit to be able to give us a nest egg to like get started but it was always 
pretty evident from a young age, like college is up to you. If that's something you want to pursue, like we'll support you and you can go for it, but it's not within our means to be able to pay your way. So like, good luck to you basically. Um, otherwise just join the workforce when you graduate high school and figure it out, which is what uh, my parents did. My mom ended up going back to college and getting an associate's degree. Um, but my dad ended up joining the union. And so he, um, works with his hands for a living and um is up on sky rises and shit like that putting up insulation so um yeah we were never under the, that same kind of of pressure i definitely feel like that is a unique immigrant experience um but i'm really curious what age were you when you actually moved to the states i moved to Watauga, texas when i was like 14 yeah yeah i got like a full full dose of nigeria and then i've been here getting pretty much the full dose of america for the second for lack of better terms better second half of my life so in some regards it was amazing in some some aspects of it, it blew my mind as a 14 year old kid coming here in some aspects it was painful kind of not understanding the social norms and kind of what that depicted for where i was i was also trying to like figure out girls at the time there was a whole other thing i got into bowling at northwestern hills all sorts of weird stuff so i <laughs> I kind of went to, we moved from Watauga to Northeastern Hills, and then I started going to Richland High School, and that's kind of where all this kind of basically started off. But doing that, I kind of learned how to be self-sufficient at the same time, because um, Nigeria doesn't have a lot of that self-sufficiency or self-sufficiency for a kid my age of 14. When you're 14 in Nigeria, like, your ability to really be mobile with your friends and not in school is not under the same lens or under the same kind of scope as it is here as far as what you can do, right? So, like, I had found myself, my first job ever was a CC Pizza when I was 15 years old. And then, like, I finally realized that I could make money with my own job legitimately, pay the taxes and have this money, and then no one can tell me what to do and how to spend it. My mom could tell me, like, donate tithes to church or whatever. But, like, being a kid and just being able to finally like earn my own money and do stuff with it and understanding that the American economy kind of affords that on a straight forward level legitimately through a job for a 14 year old. That was kind of a relatively brand new thing for me. And it may have been just because of where I was and how I was raised in Nigeria. Um, I know that some people definitely were afforded more opportunities than I was at my age. And then there were definitely people I would say the majority were not afforded that kind of opportunity, not at least the kind that I found here working at CC's Pizza. I could work at CC's Pizza and make more than an adult makes just because the current exchange rate between the Naira and the dollar is so low, right? So that self-sufficiency, in a sense, gets taken for granted in America, but as an, as an immigrant, you never really forget it. Like, your parents always remind you, like, where you come from, how little we sometimes came from, and what it really, really takes to strive and to survive and the mental fortitude that that takes, right? So I've always, always just regardless of where I was an optimist because I'd always seen lesser opportunity around me. So when you see lesser opportunity around you, if you move to somewhere where there's where more opportunity, um, it just gives you a different kind of mindset that you can do anything. And even if you can't do like 90%, you can do like 40%, right? And it took a lot of the anger that I had inside me like just resoundingly as a kid, man. And a lot of that anger finally gets dispelled when I have some serious hard sit-down conversations with my mom and my dad, but that's for like another whole conversation with this. So I kind of went into college at UTA, um, kind of meandered at TCC for a couple of years because I didn't know what I wanted to do. At my core, I'd always been a creator, but we'll kind of come back to that full circle, right? So I, I, I finished the TCC, 
Kind of stumbled into the wrong graphics design class when I was trying to major in architecture. That didn't work out so well. I found out I was in the graphics design class for engineering. So that kind of steered me more towards UTA to try and see what engineering was about and if I could actually enjoy it. I got the statics. <laughs> and I realized that if I was already stumped by my teacher and the understanding the concepts of how things stay still, that how things moved in dynamics, the next upcoming course was not for me. So I kind of like remember just having this moment where I was like, I love all this math, but I don't like applying it. <laughs> so I was like, isn't there a major for that? And I somebody told me that there was a math major. So I slept, woke up the next day, went to a counselor, and that's essentially what switched me towards being a math major. And then the question was like, well, what are you going to do with a math major degree? You know, there's not really a lot that you can do with it. You can kind of either be a heavy mathematician studying analysis, studying data and all that stuff, or being in actuarial sciences. And I was like, that didn't really seem like me. But then I knew that I was a confident speaker and that I loved to kind of imbue knowledge in people and watch that light bulb moment where they go from not understanding something to understanding something and then being there for them to help them solidify that through several examples. I really, really enjoy watching people grasp knowledge on a serious level. So I figured it I'd already been tutoring. I was working at the Math Resource Center, earning some money there. I was like, well, let's see what it takes to become a math major and get a teaching certificate so that I can have that as the fallback in case I still don't know what I want to do in life, right? So I finished, graduated from UTA um, after graduating TCC and doing pretty well in both. And then I got a teaching job in Dallas for two years, took an international teaching job in the Lincoln School in Nepal, and then that's where a whole other life-changing gear literally slapped me back around from teaching into the field of being a creator once again, which I always was. As a kid, my parents always got me like watercolors, watermarkers, paint, sharpies, sketch pads, paint sets, all that stuff. That was always the core of what made me occupied. Um, it's at the core of what made me kind of center myself for hours and deal with some of the anger that I kind of just always had as a kid. So... Nepal had a whole set of life-changing experiences that we're saving for another episode. But after that, I came back to Dallas, I hit the ground running, and I kind of never looked back. And I really went full circle from being this creator as a child and having all this talent to manifest to going into teaching and mathematics and learning academics on a rigorous degree and showing myself that I can do that to kind of melding the two together and coming back and finding a way to literally be a creator on the level that I now want to since I had gotten better skills playing guitar, playing drums, and all this other stuff. So now I still teach, but I have two part-time tutoring jobs at TCC and Mathnasium to support my career as a creator. And that creation, even that, I don't want to be cornered. I know that I make music, but I don't want that to be like all that I do, right? I, I want to be a creator at the core. It means making this podcast. It means making music. It means making music with other people. It makes making, means making videos, visual arts, all that kind of stuff. So... It's been a wild ride. No, but I totally get that because also as a creator, like as a writer, I don't want the only thing that I'm doing to be my journalistic work either. Like I love that and it and it brings me so much joy to be able to do that. But I also want to be able to, you know, tell stories through different mediums, tell my own story through um, journaling, which at some point I would love to turn into a memoir. I love writing poetry. I love reading consuming literature and so yeah so i totally get where you're coming from for like not wanting to be a one-dimensional artist or creator and like doing all these different things 
Thank y'all so much for the love and tuning in. We'll be back soon keeping you informed about things going on in the local music scene. But for our next episode, we need your help. So you guys have already seen me on Facebook and Instagram Live talking about what's going on in these times. And there's no way that I can have this podcast and not use that as a platform to, of course, do what I can to help people who are oppressed in these times. The revolution of the mind that happens first. And that's just me trying to play my part in it and use this platform to do that. So if you want to contribute to our next episode, please send us an email with a five-minute audio recording. It can be literally anything you want it to be, anything you want to talk about, anything that you think is super important for people to understand right now. Even if it's a really long-winded story, if it ends up being a little longer than five minutes, don't worry about it. But please, please send that to us. My email is beckamore at gmail.com. That's B-E-K-A-H. M-O-R-R. And I'm at Lottie underscore Mathman. Yes, you got that right. That's Lottie, L-A-D-I underscore Mathman at live.com. Um, huge shout out to Odyssey. I'm a huge fan. Listen to it in the summer of 2016. Changed my life. Made me feel like I was on top of the world. And you heard that song on this episode, and I want you guys to feel that way too. If you want to be featured on another episode, hit us up with those emails. But I'm also on Twitter at Paranova12. On Instagram at OpenFlow, Lottie underscore the musician, Niggy Meji, Famous Exchange. You know the works. You know me. Hit me up. And I'm at Becca underscore more on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at Becky G, B-E period C-K-Y-G. Um, thank you to my brilliant host and creative director, Lottie. This episode was produced and edited by me. And uh, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Take care, stay safe. Love y'all. Be easy.